The following podcast contains spoilers and pretty naughty language. We watch it. Hello everybody and welcome back to We Watched A Thing. You've got Billy in your ears, but this is a special week. It's a very, very special week because not only is it the first part of an amazing epic crossover event, this is also the first time ever, we've only done it once before, episode 100 is a special thing where I've got two guests. So welcome to the mic, Seth and DT from Space Castle. How are you guys going? Good, man. How are you, dude? I'm good, man. Nice. Very excited to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. This, this is awesome. So as mentioned, first part of a crossover, I had the amazing pleasure of recording with you guys on your web series, Real Drunk, which was a lot of fun, where we watched uh, the second of this franchise and drank copious amounts and then tried to talk about <laughs> the film somewhat eloquently. I uh, think we did pretty well. I'm proud of us. Uh, me yeah, too. It was okay. Me we too. go hard on Real Drunk. We don't mess around with the rules. Like <laughs> We drink copious amounts of alcohol in a very short amount of time. And yes. you are an absolute champion, sir. We're very proud of you. <laughs> I, I only dropped, dropped, knocked my camera over once. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here we are. Before you listen to that, let's get into the first film of this franchise. We are, of course, talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a 1990 superhero film based on the characters created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. It's the first theatrical Ninja Turtles film and the first installment of a trilogy. It's directed by Steve Barron from a screenplay by Todd W. Langan and Bobby Herbeck. It stars Judith Hogue, Elias Codius with the voices of Brian Tochi, Robbie Rist, Corey Feldman, and Josh Pace. And this is interesting. I usually make the guests tell me what it's about, but there's two of you. So I'm going to let you guys battle it out to see uh, who has to do that. <laughs> uh, I can do it. Not it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles is about how you should always be kind to animals. <laughs> Because there's an off chance they might come back 15 years later as a giant mutated creature and throw you off the roof of a building. That's right. You never know what animal is going to throw a roundhouse kick at your face. So just exactly. be nice to all of them. <laughs> Especially in the 1980s in New York City. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, th- th- this is a fun one. This was literally my favorite film as a child. I was born Same. in 88. This film came out in 1990. So I was, you know, right into into the Turtles in the early 90s. And this, uh, it was so funny. I haven't watched this movie in about 10 years, but as soon as it started, I knew the music and everything. And I remembered that whole opening montage and everything. I know that you at least, E.T., are a massive Turtles fan. I'm sure you are too, Seth. Tell me about your guys' history with this film. Seth, you want to go ahead since I, uh, I yeah, saw the yeah, intro? My, yeah, <laughs> mine will be shorter too. Uh, I'm I am a I'm a Turtles fan, but I am not like you know a massive fan, right? Yeah. Is I, I I kind of grew up with this. Um, this was a little bit before my time. Like I was born in 1990, yeah. so not like you know very early. But I I did you know other stuff. This was a bit too too young for me. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I came to the Turtles like. I don't know when I was ten or so, you know, around around the turn of the century. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so my, I, it's not like ingrained in my childhood like yeah. it is for you guys. Yeah. Let me ask you this thing because I always find this really interesting. And you're not like that much younger than me or anything. But when you think of the turtles, are you then more familiar with say like the later like the Nickelodeon type series rather than the original cartoon run? No, I'm I am still more familiar with the original cartoon one, and yeah. that is 
that is my point of familiarity. Like yeah. the, the movies aren't, uh, you know, super big in that same with the, the God, the more recent stuff. Yeah. I don't even like to think about, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, the original like eighties cartoon is, is my entry point and, yeah. and main like flagpole for, for the series. But you know, it, it, I didn't grow up with it. I, I came to it a little later. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. DT. I 100% grew up with it. I was born in 1983. Uh, the comics started in 1984, so I was too young to obviously have picked up the comic books. Yeah. The cartoon series started in 1987, and I was four years old at the time, so it was a big deal. Oh, and yeah. then this movie came out yeah. in 1990, and I was six and a half years old. It came yeah. out in March. Uh, my birthday was at December, so I was six. And it absolutely changed my gosh darn <laughs> effing life. <laughs> yeah, I have vivid memories of I did. I saw it opening oh, week in the man. cinemas with my dad, and I was sitting Dang. next to my dad in the theater. And you get through that opening montage of April talking about what's going on in the city and like the foreshadowing and whatnot. And then she gets jumped by those members of the Foot Clan we learned later. And the turtles knock out the lights and they beat the guys up and whatnot. And Raph leaves his side behind, and April picks it up. And Raph, he sees he's going to lose his weapon. And he says, Damn. And I remember yeah. vividly looking up at my dad and saying, oh, Did he just say a cuss word? <laughs> And Dude, then my dad, he, they, my dad did not make eye contact. He wasn't sure what he'd gotten himself into. It was great. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They curse way more often in this movie than I expected them to. I, oh, yeah. I've watched it again recently because I haven't seen it in years. And they're like, I, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, at, towards the end, I distinctly remember uh, Leo says bitchin'. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, That's awesome. Bitch. Yeah. 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 It's heck? funny. This is like for a kids movie. This is a surprisingly like kind of dark and gritty superhero film. Like this is Totally. Yeah. Like I mean fuck the dark knight. This is the OG like, you know. <laughs> totally. In more ways than one. Yeah, this came before Blade. This came before yeah. all those other comic movie comic book movies and really kind of pave the, the way like turtles walked so everybody else can run really yeah i mean obviously you know so we had batman 89 obviously the year before this which coincidentally i did on the show just last week week before and i hadn't mm -hmm. watched that in a long time and i was honestly kind of surprised by how much i enjoyed revisiting that film but yeah to me this was the superhero film of my childhood and re-watching yeah. it i was surprised by how much of a superhero film it was because that's not what i think of the turtles like i mean obviously they have their origins in comic books and they started almost as like a, a parody of you know superheroes like daredevil and stuff mm -hmm. but because i was a kid and i'm more familiar with the cartoon i that's how i think of them so yeah revisiting this film and realizing well i mean shit this is basically a marvel film right down to the quips and everything like it really kind of surprised me a bit yeah yeah i'm in the same boat i was Utterly surprised. And also, it feels really modern as a movie. Yeah. 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 Which, which also caught me off guard. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully lit. The, the turtle animatronics by the Jim Henson studio are just phenomenal. Oh. And oh, I think the, so the fact good. that everything's lit very darkly and the film is very mm. gritty and, and dark in tone and, and saturation and whatnot lends itself to the believability of those suits. Because you look yeah. at production stills of them when the suits aren't fully engaged and they're like broadly lit and they're all washed out, they don't look as great as they do on screen. But the combination of the production techniques and the lighting and everything just makes those turtles come alive in a way that we're probably just never going to see again in live action with the turtles. Definitely not. Yeah. I was actually going to make a point of that is, is with uh, the Henson studio kind of falling out now without Henson, um, it's kind of marks the end of, of 
good like live action animatronic costume yeah. stuff. Like we, you know, the early '90s was was the end of it. Like we we will never go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Jim Henson actually died just shortly after the premiere of the movie, and the mm-hmm. sequel, which we're going to cover in Real Drunk with Billy, they actually uh, they dedicate the film to him, The Secret of the Ooze, yeah. which is cool. It, it's really it's really touching. Yeah. Just to see that pop up. Yeah. I had no idea, DT, actually, until you mentioned this last week when we were recording Real Drunk, that this was an independent film and, in fact, was the most successful independent film at the time and and remained so for quite a while. Yeah, Um, it was actually an independent production and it didn't actually have uh, distribution until late in the game. A bunch of studios passed on it because they were afraid it was going to be a flop because of stuff like Masters of the Universe, which yeah. was based on a toy line and a cartoon line, and the movie came out, and we actually covered that on Real Drunk, and it's a fun movie, but it's a gosh darn disaster. I'm trying, <laughs> hard, I'm trying hard not to cuss. I can't remember if I can cuss on this show Oh, mate, not. yeah, you can, yeah, you but, can go ahead. Oh, mate, fucking A, all right. Dro- yeah, dro- the intro is great. Drop a cunt if you yeah. want. I'm, a, oh, I'm Aussie. Oh, I'm all right with all right. that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the film didn't get distribution until way late because all the major studios passed on it. And it wasn't until uh, New Line Cinema, who was most famous at the time for doing the Freddy Krueger movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, yeah. and a bunch of art movies, they picked it up and they took a risk on it. And man, did it pay off because the budget for the thing was only $13 million, yeah. And the thing made like 90 plus million and then some. And then it absolutely exploded on VHS sales after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Massive I mean, on- hit, huge commercial success. Yeah, it's, it's shocking to me. When you say that budget amount, $13 million, that is shocking because like yeah i know that that's still i mean that sounds like a fairly high number to the average person but in terms of filmmaking even for an independent film that's pretty fucking low for what this movie achieves it's insane you couldn't you couldn't even film in the locations they did for 13 million not now no exactly yeah i mean you know even even just the cost of film stock Back then, yeah, you know, like I mean, Clerks shot in '94, famously like, very cheap. I think that was twenty eight thousand dollars or something. Mm-hmm. But he had to use black and white film stock, and he was not paying for locations, not paying crew or anything. Like that's just insane when you look at that yeah. number for what this film does. Because this is a gorgeous looking movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a Jim Henson film. Like, it, yeah, it, you don't yeah. get you don't get Jim Henson costume work. For cheap. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> yeah, this stacks I, right up with m- any of the Muppet movies for me in terms of its look. Yeah. You know, like it's right up there. <laughs> yeah, it was the most sophisticated work that Jim Henson Studios had done up to that time. The the suits combined with the motorization of the heads and whatnot, it was super super mm-hmm. advanced for the time. And I don't think anybody besides Jim Henson could have pulled it off. And then we kind of saw in the third movie, I don't know if we'll ever get to that one because it's not great, but the third movie, because Jim Henson had passed away and because the budget was reduced for the third movie and they couldn't afford Jim Henson's studio anymore, they had like sort of knockoff suits from another production company Yeah, and they don't look or function nearly as good. They're just not as great as the Jim Henson suits were. And that's, I I remember, so to get a little bit into a technical weeds here, uh, I remember seeing a, a study and breakdown from Disney Imagineers of the uh, face structure and infrastructure for those, the turtle masks or helmets, I guess is probably closer. Yeah. Um, incredibly complicated. And like Disney has done some of the most complicated animatronics work mm. basically ever. <laughs> they kind of invented the whole idea. Yeah. Uh, this, this paper I saw, granted it was maybe a decade ago now, but was basically like, yeah, this is, miles ahead of anything that we had been doing 
Yeah. And we had Disney behind us. Yeah. So. I fully believe that Jim Henson was from another planet. The dude was just absolute <laughs> genius ahead of his time. Yeah. Uh, what's funny about those suits, though, is the fact that there was so much going on in the heads and whatnot with the motors and all the different bells and whistles going on. The motors and the heads were so loud that all the, the dialogue in the movie was basically useless, kind of like Terminator <laughs> 2, the way Jim Cameron shot yeah. it was so loud. Yeah. So the vast majority of the scenes with the turtles in them, all the human actors had to be dubbed over with ADR after the fact because it was just all of the boom mics. Yeah. That's also uh, part of the reason why Tatsu ends up getting dubbed over in as like a almost a meme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the, for the whole movie is because a lot of his his scenes were equally loud from like you know construction work or whatever. Yeah. 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 I think that the the costume like it's not even just the turtle suits. Like how fucking good does Shredder look in this movie? Oh, Dude. this is best Shredder in my opinion. Dude, he is like looks great. He's like Darth Vader levels of like like to a child. He's like up there in terms of just being scary as hell. Like he is so absolutely intimidating and machine like. But oh, it's dope. I remember. So I saw Star Wars before this. Yeah. So I had I had Vader in my blood already. And I remember in this movie when um, the final showdown on the roof with Splinter and Shredder and uh, like Shredder realizes that the rat is, is Master Splinter now. Yeah. And he takes off his faceplate to reveal his scars and his voice didn't change. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. freaking out about that. Because <laughs> yeah. like I expected, you know, big helmet, like I expected it to be some kind of weird voice effect like yeah. Vader had. Yeah. So he takes off the mask and it's, he sounds exactly the same. And it f blew my little 10-year-old brain. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the fact that there is no conceivable reason that Shredder should be as cool as he is in this movie. He's wearing a, a glittery, like, yeah. pink shirt. And a it's metallic fashion. Yeah, and a metallic tiger stripe cape. And he's got, like, razor blades all over him. And his big, this helmet should be doofy looking in live action. But for some reason, oh, they yes. play it just right and he's menacing and scary and cool and like yeah like as a kid i was used to like you know uncle phil playing the shredder and being like yeah. turtles blah 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 <laughs> yeah and he's he, shredder's scary as shit in this movie it's amazing that they pulled that off i have a belief that the shredder's costume is the reason why this movie is so dark because it only works in that stark harsh lighting. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. they had to do it like that and therefore they had to make the rest of the movie match. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no that that sounds totally believable. Yeah. yeah. But I mean the whole movie is like that like the turtles are the same. Like uh, you were talking about how good these costumes look. They're still you know like grown-sized people wearing a turtle costume it shouldn't <laughs> it shouldn't work you shouldn't be able to relate to these characters you know like but somehow it just does like you just buy yeah. into it almost instantly it's really interesting too i was thinking about this while i was watching it is i buy into the turtle costume instantly like i just it just clicks yeah right? makes sense yeah i get i pull the veil back a little bit in the scenes where Raphael is wearing a trench coat and hat Yes. That shit doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, and you're like, oh, okay. The, 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 the trench coat version is how I should feel about the turtle yeah. running around Manhattan. But yeah. like, I don't. 
it feels normal until he puts a trench coat on and then it's broken yeah that that first scene where he meets casey jones in the park and casey doesn't recognize that he's a turtle in a trench coat and it's like what the fuck do you think this guy is you think he's just a big bald green guy i think he calls him a punker (laughs) yeah and i was like what the fuck is what 90s bullshit slang is this a punker i don't even know what this means (laughs) and he hates punkers especially bald ones that were maxed over (laughs) ugly faces (laughs) yeah Come on, Casey. What are you doing, man? Dude, Elias Cotea is, is fantastic in this movie. Casey Jones is probably not an easy character to play. And yeah. he walks that line between complete asshole and charming at the same time. And he pairs off with April, who's this spitfire, like, independent woman. Their chemistry is fantastic. Everything about mm-hmm. this movie just fucking works. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those rare instances where it's a movie where, like, the sum of its parts shouldn't math out correctly. But it's just yeah. way... It hits... It hits way harder than it should. Yeah, it's true, right? Because it takes itself quite seriously for what it is. I mean, like, yeah, I said, yeah. like it, it is, it's a effectively a children's movie about turtles who like pizza and were trained how to do martial arts by a rat. <laughs> and it like, it <laughs> what do you mean shouldn't... kids movie? That sounds like old as shit to me, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> like it, it just, it shouldn't work on so many levels, and yet it does because it. Everything about the craft is taken so seriously from the costuming, right? You know, like you brought up the lighting and the look of the film, DT. Mm -hmm. This is one of those classic examples for me where the city is a character in itself. Like New York is a character in this film. And because the city and, you know, the crime and everything is established so well, it feels like a real place that people live in. Like yeah, it's super dungy and gritty, and there's there's trash strewn about the streets, and yeah, it's yeah. it's an honest depiction of New York City in the late 1980s, like before yep. everything got cleaned up. Manhattan exactly. was rough, yeah, and it's got that classic cinematic look, you know, like steam coming out of the ground, which yeah. for some reason happens in New York, and I've always been kind of disgusted and ha- curious about that. <laughs> like- <laughs> it happens all over the place. It happens here in Seattle as well. Really, it's it's because. Uh, I can explain it for you real fast. It's That'd very, be great. very simple. <laughs> so the heat of the day on the on the the streets and and concrete sidewalks yeah. heats up the ground, and all of the sewer pipes underneath the ground have water and moisture and all of that and retain right. that heat. So as the night cools off, the air on above the street gets cold, and the heat in the pipes and and the ground is still hot, making steam. Yeah, cool. I mean, science- visible steam. It's it's yeah. the same. It's the same as when your breath fogs. Yeah, right? it's right. not like yeah. it's not boiling water steam. It's just yeah. See, oh. scientifically that tracks, but to me, I always just thought, "Fuck, that looks great on camera." <laughs> like, oh, yeah. For it's some reason, that doesn't. For some reason, that doesn't happen here. I I don't know why, because I I don't think our sewers are built that differently. But yeah, never seen it here in Australia. <laughs> I do. I do think it's very interesting how uh, you can tell the difference. So to to clash this a little bit with our real drunk episode for the second movie, the sequel here, uh, you can tell instantly that the set decorator cared a lot more about this film than whoever it was that did, did the second one because you get the same like on the surface you got your trash in new york it's dingy it's dark it's grungy but if you look at them it's obvious that one is out of place one doesn't work it doesn't gel it doesn't feel real whereas the first movie it feels like they just set a video camera in the alley and like that was it yeah. The second one, they've tried to fake that look, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an indie quality to the first movie. A lot of handheld shots, a lot of tracking shots. 
again, I go back to the lighting because the lighting is so key. Like every scene in this movie looks like a like a painting that was started yeah. on like a black canvas. It's awesome. Whereas the second movie, and we get into this quite a bit in the Road Truck episode, this movie is very, very studio like run, studio design, yeah. studio written. And let's let's just give a, a good shout out to Steve Barron who directed the first movie because holy crap, what a vision. And the Absolutely fact that he was so able work. to deftly marry the aesthetics and the darkness of the original run of comics with, you know, that expected comedy relief and whatnot and the zaniness of the cartoons without either of them going too far, but neither yeah. of them feeling like they've been slighted either. The balance is masterful. Yeah. Unfortunately, it also got him fired before this movie was finished. <laughs> really? really? Yeah. I mean, about that. So Steve Barron was the director of the film and he was fired almost towards the end of production because the studio decided that the direction he was taking the movie was much too dark, which is kind of wow. weird to me because they waited way too long to fire him if they were worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you probably could have even figured out from the screenplay. Like, sure. Or like <laughs> dailies or something. I mean, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. But no, they fired him uh, very late in production. And uh, Brian Henson, uh, Jim Henson's son, was the second unit director for obvious reasons because he was so involved with the man animatronics with the turtles and whatnot. Uh, he said years later that uh, they actually finished the film without Baron. Like, they finished it without him in the editing suite and whatnot. Wow. And to go even further, they fired the film's editor in post-production, too, before the film was finished because they didn't like her work. What's funny, <laughs> what's funny is that woman, that editor they fired, was Sally Menke, who four years later went on to be nominated for an Oscar for editing Pulp Fucking Fiction. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so they didn't like her work. And she went off and she became one of the best editors of all time, working with most of Quentin Tarantino or with Quentin Tarantino in most of his films. Yeah. So there was a lot of weirdness that happened behind the scenes, yeah. a lot of cold feet, a lot of, you know, nervousness about trying to do something so weird and experimental and something that turned out yeah. so dark. But it turned out to be the highest grossing independent film of all time. And I think it actually helped catapult the franchise into even higher levels than anybody expected, especially with the, the popular the cartoon and the toys and whatnot. Yeah. The movie put it over the top. It was an absolute phenomenon. Yeah. So. It's crazy to me that they finished the production of this film without the original director and editor, and, and it still ended up the product it is with seemingly... I mean, like, as an end viewer, I can't feel studio interference. Yeah. It still feels fairly dark. It makes me wonder how dark it might have been if there, if there was another cut floating around or something. Honestly, it makes me feel like... It, it, it lends credence to the fact that they did it late in the game. Yeah. They had already established a, a feel and an editing style and all of that. So that like, yeah, it, they were so deep into that, that without the main editor or director or whatever there, they can still carry forth that same style to, yeah. to finish it out. It's wild too, because this was an independent production and the studio that was going to distribute it didn't have any skin in the game, so to speak. So yeah. the fact that they fired him almost seems like they were just scared and panicking. But Steve Barron, I've seen him in you know myriad interviews since, and he doesn't seem to have any bad feelings about it. He's just happy to have been a part of the production. I think his vision is largely what we see on screen, regardless. Because yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to bring Jim Henson and crew back and reshoot the whole movie and, and balloon the right. the you know the budget twice the yeah, size. You think like, you are well, Steven Spielberg? Exactly. This, is the, this yeah. is the crazy thing is that these days that stuff happens. You know, like I don't know how much yeah. of Solo was shot, for example, before they brought in Ron Howard. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like this, th these days that is what they do. They would just scrap so much of the yeah. footage. It's insane. Well, back then they, it, was, it was new. There was no precedent for like if a superhero movie like this could work or, yeah. or anything. And now like 
if they have to take another extra $200 million and reshoot it, that's fine because they're going to make a billion on it yeah, anyways. Yeah. So. I mean, this is getting completely, completely off topic. But just while we're talking about this whole studio superhero thing, what do you guys make of the whole Batgirl thing? That to me just seems insane because no matter how bad that movie is, they were going to make money on it. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. DC Plus have was- made money on all their other terrible films. <laughs> it was finished, basically. Yeah. Like- yeah, the money's already spent. <laughs> yeah, like it's it. Yeah. It makes me sad for all the people who worked on that film. Like, can you imagine if that's what they'd done with Turtles nineteen ninety? Like, oh yeah. man, could you imagine if you're like, hey, I finally got my big break. I'm starring in a in the Batgirl movie. Yeah, and then they're like, mm, nah. Yeah, it's just nuts. If if they had canned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie before it came out, I would have already invented time travel by now and gone <laughs> yeah. back and. <laughs> Maybe they did, and that's how we. (laughs) And you've already fixed it. Maybe I will invent time travel. Maybe I saved the turtle movie back in 1990. Maybe. Maybe. So, what if Destiny was never meant to be? So at the time, the film was not really very well received. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it a two and a half out of four and said that it's nowhere near as bad as it might have been. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Roger Ebert, Ebert, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind exactly. of one of the, the better reviews of the time. Uh, it currently, to this day, has a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, but we all know that Rotten Tomatoes is a bit of a joke, really. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I mean, geez, like that, that, that shocks me. Like this, you know, I just don't get it. This- <laughs> This movie is firmly in cult territory. Like it, it's one of those where if you if you get it, yeah, it's great. But if you just look at it on the surface, or you've seen bits of the second one or the third one or yeah. whatever, like there's there's not really anything to to hold you. Yeah, yeah. I think people just largely wrote it off because it was a Ninja Turtles movie at the height of the popularity. If you yeah. go back and you watch the movie now, there are so many brilliant like nuanced character moments and. It's it's just it's a sweet heartfelt like labor of love, and I, I think it just didn't get the love it, it deserved back then. I think it's gotten it now, yeah, and, and yeah. in no small part just from me. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I think people just wrote it off. I think they wanted to write it off as just being a dumb kids movie. But yeah, it's it's really not. It's very succinctly written. Yeah, it's the script is just masterful. The way it was executed is fantastic. Like I said, it's just, yeah. I mean, there's, there's moments in the movie that stick with me. And one of the key ones is after the turtles come back from saving April, they come and they bust into the turtle lair and, you know, Splinter gives them a lecture about, you know, they need to take care of themselves and be safe and be careful because one day he's not going to be there. And all of them react to the idea because they're 15. They react to the idea of Splinter not being around and they're all very solemn about it. And then Michelangelo orders a pizza and they goof off and they dance and Raph takes off and, does this thing and there's that scene where michelangelo is sitting underneath the sewer grate waiting for the pizza to be delivered and donatello comes skating up and he asks him like hey yeah. have you thought about have you thought about what splinter said about the day will come when he's not going to be around we're not going to have him and Le- or, uh, michelangelo makes a joke about how you know the pizza dude's late three bucks off blah 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 and it's played off like a gag but what it actually is is it's michelangelo refusing to have that mature yeah. moment and think about his dad not being around it's not a cartoony joke it's an an avoidance coping mechanism exactly and And the whole movie is like that these characters are nuanced and fleshed out and real and alive and they don't get nearly enough credit for that that i think is what takes a movie into cult classic territory when an adult when me a 32 year old can watch this movie and and realize that that's what that was yeah but 10 year old me just thought he was making a joke about pizza (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that is like okay this is not just a kid's movie like this is a film 
<laughs> that yeah. I can appreciate. 100%. And I think you're right. I think it's so easy to write this film off as commercialism. You know, I think anything that starts as a way to sell toys, which is, you know, like that's how this franchise started. There were toys first. Well, I mean, com- comics first, obviously, but then toys. And then the cartoon was really just a giant advertisement for toys more or less so i can see why it's easy to write this off but like you say the artistry that went into it is you know like and they didn't need to do that this could have just been an exercise in commercialism but the amount of care yeah exactly (laughs) but the amount of care that was taken from every department in this film right from the conception of the screenplay through to the production is mind-boggling can we talk for a moment about the score by john deprez yeah man like I said, yeah. when this movie started, I was shocked that I remembered the music beat for beat. And I was like, wow, that da, da, is da, just- da, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just lived in my brain for like years now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird how a score like that can redefine like a theme song for a whole franchise. Like the, 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 the mm. TMNT cartoon theme song. Is in my brain, but it is, it's like split separate from yeah, yeah. when I think about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. You know? It's true, right? It's like, it's like what Danny Elfman did for Batman. Like, I can distinctly think yeah. of the, da, 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 like, but obviously you think of like the 60s Batman as its own thing. Like, you're right. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty amazing to be able to do that. Yeah. Besides the main theme, I think my favorite piece of music in the movie is that sort of sad, somber, sort of stringy piece. Yep. Like, you get first introduced Absolutely. to it uh, when uh, when Raphael comes home after getting into that fight with Casey and Splinter confronts him and he wants to talk to him about his anger. You get that, and then it comes back as, like, a motif later when Raph's gotten the shit kicked out of him and Leonardo's holding a vigil with him in the bathroom. Yeah. And it's just that solemn, stringy, like... And it, again, it's, it's one of those things where this movie is full of quiet, peaceful, reflective moments. Yeah. Instead of being this crazy, bombastic, ridiculous comic book movie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's little instances like that moment, for example, that make you realize like, okay, this isn't like just a, a, a kid's movie with superheroes and turtles and villains and stuff. It's, it is also a ninja movie. Yeah. And ninjas are solemn and sad. It's, it is not a pleasant existence to be a ninja and like, or be a vigilante or anything. And, and we get glimpses of that yeah. like sub level of like, oh okay, this being a vigilante is not, like, fun. It's not happy-go-lucky work. It's, like, it's hard and it's brutal and it's sad sometimes. But it's also the fact that these are teenagers who have never been able to go outside and never had social interaction and have been largely raised by their mentor and the TV. And Raphael's anger comes from a place of just knowing he's never going to be normal. He's never going to be able to go outside and do the things he wants to do. He can go out at very late night and go see a movie because it's dark and nobody will see him. He's never going to have a girlfriend. He's never going to go to high school. He's never going to be able to do any of those things. And the movie recognizes that. And the thing that pulls them through is their familial bond, like Splinter as their, their father, and then their relationship and their bond as brothers. And it's, it's beautiful. It's awesome. Absolutely. And that's the yeah. thing that the, the sequels and a lot of the cartoon even wholly missed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, Dita. Apart from anything else, this is, you know, a coming of age story, really. Totally. Yeah. And like, yeah, being mm-hmm. a teenager is a sad, angry, lonely thing at the best of times. So, yeah, lump in being a turtle and a ninja and all that junk. And yeah, it's yeah. rough, you know, like, and like you said, I think that's what makes this feel more like a fleshed out movie is that these characters are 
real people with real struggles. Um, yeah. You know, like, here's where I think the big difference comes in. You know, like, when we did Real Drunk last week, I bet that it was pretty easy for you guys to come up with those drinking game rules because bad movies tend to have a lot of repetition in them, for example. Um, mm. I, f- I feel like this movie would be actually pretty hard to come up with drinking Absolutely. game rules that would get you we, that drunk. We talked about it and we decided we have this unspoken, well, kind of unspoken, but pretty spoken rule that if a movie is just too good, we're not yeah. going to be able to riff on it and create proper drinking yeah. game rules out of it. Yeah. This is one of the first movies we talked about, and we're like, well, we can't really do that one, but we can do Secret of the Ooze and maybe the third movie at some point. But this movie, like- how- First one's too good. What would yeah. you drink every time something's amazing? There's- like, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, that's- and that's- <laughs> yeah. There is a few. Like, they do uh, linear catchphrases still. Yep, yep, that's yep. still a thing that's in true. this one. Yep. But Bitchin'. like, <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but it's not, like, funny. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. in Secret of the Ooze, it feels- funny and out of place and it, it like it sticks out yeah here yeah. it doesn't that's exactly for, right like i honestly couldn't tell you why but it just works yeah. the whole thing just kind of works better yeah so all in all it's clear that we love this movie how are you guys scoring this out of 10 11 <laughs> i i'd give it a solid eight that's good yeah. i yeah yeah it's good it is not like it's not like the Matrix or anything like that, right? Like it, it's good, and I do enjoy it, but it's not. Uh, to me, it's not a life changing film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I'm a nine, so I'm right in the middle of you guys. <laughs> like, and, and I think a huge amount of that comes down to yeah, our personal experience with this film. Like, I think for myself and clearly for DT, there's so much wrapped up in this film with childhood and everything that it's really hard to separate. But, I, you know, rewatching it, like I said, I was honestly shocked by, I, I almost thought that I'd go into it and it would be one of those things where it was like, oh, I shouldn't have revisited this. You know, when that happens with films that yeah. you loved as a kid, like, I, I, I was fully expecting that. <laughs> I had the same thought going back in. It was like, okay, I remember really enjoying this, but how much of that is just my nostalgia for this movie? And how much of that is like actually, exactly. Because it's a good movie, and the the guess that I had made at that ratio was off. Yes, it is, like it's a much better movie than I expected. It yep. wasn't all chalked up to nostalgia. Yeah, hundred percent. So that really surprised me, and so yeah, I have to give it a nine because just the artistry involved in this film, mm-hmm. such care was taken, and it is a really really good movie. Like I, I watched this alone the other night with a pizza and a beer and it was great but i was like wow i actually i think that my daughters would like this movie Mm. like i i didn't expect that watching it but i actually i think they'd like this and i can't wait to watch this with them now (laughs) it is hands down the best turtles movie that's ever been made it probably will be the best one it ever will be made too honestly yeah it's just lightning in a bottle i haven't seen any of the new ones but I have yeah, heard that's that okay. Yeah, Billy, don't do it. Don't do it, <laughs> yeah. Billy. Seriously. I am a lifelong Turtle fan, and me, I was so angry at just yeah. the first movie. Let me movie. hit you with this And one, then the Billy, second but... one is just a goddamn fucking nightmare. <laughs> this is all you really need to know about it, is we won't do it on Real Drunk because it's too bad. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> pretty bad. It's too bad for us to drink to and make fun of. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a slog, man. No good. That's pretty bad. <laughs> that, well, well, speaking of bad, next week on the show, I'll be joined by Joey from uh, So Wizard doing The Room, 
which is famous. So Wizard's okay, bad. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I love those guys. Their show is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But thank you guys so much for joining me. This is this has been so great to revisit not only one but both of these films. So can you tell everybody about both Space Castle and Real Drunk, both of which are awesome, where they can find you guys and and all that stuff. I think Seth's let, got I'll our contact. I was going to say, you've got our contact <laughs> I, I, information memorized at this point. <laughs> I, I do. I'm just not good at selling our stuff. Um, so we do Space Castle and the YouTube show Real Drunk. We've talked about that one extensively here. You can find us um, at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com if you want to just send us questions or get in touch or whatever. Um, or just search for Space Castle Podcast. You can find us basically everywhere. All the time, forever. We're on all nice. major players. Uh, we're on Twitter at SpaceCastlePod, and we got a website, SpaceCastlePodcast.com. Uh, it's me and Seth and our good friend slash relative Alex. We're always talking about nerdy stuff and answering bizarre questions. One of the most bizarre we received from you, good sir, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, and, uh, maybe unfortunate. Yeah, we have a great time, and we invite our listeners to come have a great time with us every Wednesday. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great show, really well put together, really fun. You guys are all fantastic personalities, and Real Drunk is just awesome as well. So I'd recommend everybody to go check out both of those shows, um, and particularly, I think, is it tomorrow or the day after this drops that uh, you'll be able to see us talk turtles again? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the day after. Yeah. 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 Double awesome. header, go, go watch that, and you can... It. I highly recommend comparing them. Because it is an interesting comparison between one and two. Yeah. I, I, I've talked about it at length in both of these episodes. Yeah. I find that comparison very interesting. It's very stark. Yeah. True. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and I'll catch you next week. Oh.